If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Today I'm reading verses 12 to 15. And we are in a series called The Best Rest. Uh, The series is going to be a six-week series, so we have uh, four more, including today. And we're basically meditating on contemplating what the Bible has to say about rest, both in principle and in practice. Uh, And as we dig into the Bible, I hope it's becoming apparent, the Bible actually has a lot to say about rest, that God has spoken to us about this topic, uh, meaning it's incredibly important and worth considering. Uh, And every week, I've just been highlighting one main point. Uh, If you've noticed, there haven't been points in the sermon. There hasn't been a gospel truth. Just one main point that I'd like you to walk away with. Uh, The first week was that rest is the goal of God's creation. We're all created to experience this rest. Uh, Last week was that rest is not simply inactivity, but rest is about rejoicing in and remembering God's creation work, particularly his new creation work in Jesus in our lives. Today, as we look at this fourth commandment, today and next week, we're looking at it. Uh, Today's focus is how the day of the Sabbath, Sabbath rest is a gift from God to us, right? Sabbath is a gift we receive. And then next week, we'll look at how uh, Sabbath relates to our freedom. Um, But today, as we look at the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy chapter five, I do ask you that you would stand. And in your standing, uh, we do it as an act of worship to read and receive God's word as he speaks to us. Hear now the reading of God's word from Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting with verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And would you join me in prayer once more? O Holy Spirit, focus our hearts and our minds upon the meditation of your word, that such a familiar command as this uh, would connect with our lives. Lord, we may not learn new information about this text, but help us by your grace to apply it into our lives so that continually we find ourselves in conformity to the truth of your word. Help us then not only to learn about rest, but to experience it, for we know that is your desire for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In college, I took a class. It wasn't very interesting, but it was called Everyday Law in Biblical Israel. It was a required course for my major. Uh, There were about eight students in the class, and it was taught by a Jewish scholar and a Jewish professor. Um, I don't remember much from the class. Uh, I just remember this. The exam was scheduled for a Saturday. Now, for a Jewish professor, the Saturday is the day he observes Sabbath. And so uh, in order not to violate that, he asked the class if they would consider moving the exam to a Sunday. And all the students loved it. That just meant one more day of studying. Um, But of course, ironically, um, you know, Sunday is the Christian Sabbath that we remember and view in light of Christ's resurrection. So in order for him not to violate his Sabbath, I had to violate mine. And I remember it was weighing on my conscience right around college is when I was thinking about what Sabbath meant. And so as I was wrestling with it, I brought it to the attention 
of my college mentor, and he uh, responded, and it was quite surprising. Basically, said to me, Andrew, is the average uh, that you have in the class high enough that if you skip the exam, you would still pass the class? And I was really shocked and surprised, and I said, you know, don't let my mom hear you say that. And basically, what he was saying was this: he was saying he was he was he was saying, is it worth it to you? You know, what's better, to, to, to honor God, to keep the Sabbath and potentially fail the class, or to dishonor God, break the Sabbath, and pass the class? And I remember really wrestling with that. It was such a, a difficult dilemma to be in. What is worth breaking the Sabbath for? Now, have you ever faced a situation like that? Maybe not just like that, but something similar, where you're called to maybe... Um, do something on the Sabbath that would cause you, prevent you from coming and joining in God's um, worship with his people. Now, as you think about that question, I, I have to admit that there's a sort of bias even in the way the question is asked. Because the question is asked like this, uh, can you think of a time where you, have, you were forced uh, to make a decision that if you violated the Sabbath, you would have to face some consequence? And the question is biased for this reason. It assumes that there's only a consequence if you violate the Sabbath right? That um, in the sense that I am missing out on something if I keep the Sabbath, rather than thinking, man, if I, if I honor God, right, what am I actually missing out on? Like, what is the real consequence? You know, of course, the consequence, because we're no longer under the Mosaic covenant, the consequence is not uh, God's eternal wrath, heaven will open, his hand, heavenly hand will come and smite you and, you know, smack you once to smack sense into you. That, that's not the consequence we're talking about. The consequence I'm talking about is this. To violate the Sabbath is to really rob yourself of the joy and rest that God wants to give you. Because the Sabbath is a gift from God. So let me ask you this question. Do you treat and handle and approach the Sabbath as God's gift to you? Is it a gift for you to enjoy or is it a law for you to keep? Right, our text today comes from the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment, very familiar. But to understand the commandments, we can't just dive straight in. We need to understand the context of it. And so if you have your Bible or if you look at the screen, let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. How does the whole setting of the commandments begin in the Deuteronomy account? Well, verse 1 says this. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Now, this is how Moses begins teaching and giving the first or giving the Ten Commandments. And there are two words in here that we're kind of wired as Christians to maybe tighten up when we hear, and those are the words statutes and rules, right? We are a grace kind of people. We're not legalists. We're not law-driven. And so when we hear statutes and rules, we kind of tighten up because we tend to view statutes and rules and commandments and law as restricting, as limiting. And that's why the Ten Commandments are often reduced to a list of do's and don'ts. So many people think of them that way. This past week, actually, I was having a conversation with an unbeliever who said to me, uh, we were talking about Christianity, and uh, they said to me, why would I want to follow a religion of do's and don'ts? And sadly, I actually think Christians also understand the Ten Commandments to be a list of rules of do's and don'ts. The only difference is they're okay with it. They endure it. They put up with it. But ultimately, that's not a helpful perspective on the law of God, right? How should we view the law of God? Well, I think about the law of God like a belt, right? A belt that you wear. 
you know, a belt, when you put it on properly, should be restricting. It should be limiting. It should be tight around you, right? Um, think about Thanksgiving meal, right? And how extra tight that belt feels around you that day. You know, for some of us, you know, the belt being tight is like an everyday experience. And my belt is always tight. It's always Thanksgiving, you know, at the Kim apartment. But when you wear a belt, why do you wear it? Do you wear it for it to be loose and for it to be big? Or do you wear it in order to be tight? And so, yes, the belt is restricting, but it's restricting because it's keeping your pants up. It's preventing you from falling over and tripping over your pants. It's preventing you from your pants falling down. It's preventing you from having to do this every five seconds. You see, in that case, no belt at all or a loose belt is actually a big disservice to you. It'll hurt you more. You see, in the same way, God's Ten Commandments, yes, at times, in one sense, they feel restricting, they feel limiting. But in another sense, they're God's gift to you. The fourth commandment in particular is God's gift because it helps us to live in and experience the rest that he wants us to have. And so we get to the Ten Commandments and already we're thinking this is not so much a a list of do's and don'ts, but it's actually a way for God to help you experience something. So let's look at verse 12. And what we read is this, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Now the word Sabbath literally in Hebrew just means to seize or to rest, to stop. And so what do we need to seize and to rest from? Well, God tells us in verses 13 and 14, where he says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. God is saying that the routine of the work, the labor of the six days needs to be set apart from this seventh Sabbath day. And that's why God says, keep it holy, right? When we think holy, we oftentimes think of moral holiness, but holiness just means set apart or different, distinct, right? So in the tabernacle, objects in it were holy. It doesn't mean they were morally holy. It means they were set apart for God's use. So something about this seventh day needs to be different and distinct from the other days. Meaning that God is saying, I want you to make a separation between the duties and the responsibilities you have in six days from your main duty and responsibility on this seventh day, which is to rest. And so if you notice in verse 13, uh, in those six days, it says, you should take care to do all your work, all your work. You know, God is actually saying, I'm giving you six days to take care of everything you need to take care of, right? God is not naive. He knows we have responsibilities and duties and chores to take care of. He knows you have to go to work. He knows you have to go to school. So he says, I'm giving you six of seven days to do what you need to do. And then in verse 14, he says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, right? So you are given six days to do your work, but the seventh day is to the Lord. It's the Lord's day. It's interesting then God is giving us six days and asking us to only set apart one day. The creator God, the, the redeeming savior is saying, I've made six days, but I'm giving you, or I've made seven days, I'm giving you six. That's a pretty good deal. And yet we still bargain and haggle with God. We make a counter offer. Ooh, that sounds really good. Six or seven days. How about this? I give you Sunday morning. 
and you give me the rest of Sunday. I'll give you worship. I'll come to church. But let me, let me have the rest of the day for myself. And, and when we do this, when we begin to barter with God, bargain with God, counter, offer, negotiate with God, we fail to recognize that God is giving us a gift in the Sabbath, that we're not giving God a gift. Oh God, I'll give you Sunday morning and I'll keep the rest for myself. No, God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm giving you this gift. Now, I heard an old Chinese story about a man who went to the market and he had seven coins and he went to do his, you know, weekly grocery shopping. And while he was in the market, there was an old beggar who came up to him. And upon looking at his condition, this man was so full of grace and generosity that he dug into his pocket and he gave the beggar six of his seven coins. And as he placed the seventh coin in his pocket and he turned to leave, the beggar struck him in the back of the head, knocked him over, reached in his pocket, took the seventh coin and he ran away. And you hear a story like that and it makes you livid. It gets your blood boiling because how could this beggar be so incredibly greedy and selfish and ungrateful? Right? Rather than gratefully receiving what was so generously given to him, how dare he want more? And yet that story holds up a mirror for us to see our hearts when it comes to the Sabbath. God has given us six days why do we demand the seventh for ourselves as well? You know, God could have demanded seven days of complete worship from start to finish, seven days of complete allegiance and sacrifice. And pretty much said, he could have said, and you figure out the rest on your own. I don't know how you're going to eat. I don't know how you're going to live. I don't know how you're going to pay for the roof above your head, but seven days are mine to worship. Just figure out the rest. God could have said that, but what does he do? He says, no, I'm going to give you six days to take care of your work, but this seventh day set apart for me. Although what's really interesting about that is that seventh day set apart for him, it's still God saying, I'm giving you a seventh day to rest. It's still gracious, even when God says it's a day for me. But we act like the beggar. We want that seventh day to ourselves. We're not content with Monday to Saturday. We want exclusive rights to Sunday. God, don't you know what Sunday is? And we see this attitude in our hearts and the practice of our lives, especially when uh, the way that we talk about worship as, as if we're giving God, you know, this day, we're, we're setting aside this as if we're doing this great sacrifice to God, as if we're the gift giver and God's the gift receiver. Rather than what it is, God is the gift giver, we are the gift receivers. And so God gives this gift. He, he gives the Sabbath, the command, observe the Sabbath. But it does come with instructions. It does come with a manual. And it's very simple. To maximally enjoy the gift of God's Sabbath, we must keep it holy. This, something about this seventh day must be separate from the other six days. Something about Sunday must be different from Monday to Saturday. Now, I admit th this is extremely hard these days, especially in light of the coronavirus season. Now that maybe school has started for some parents, you know, some, there's some rhythm to your week. But, but can you remember in the midst of all of this back in March and in April, can you remember when it was in the midst of the pandemic that one day you woke up and all the days started blending together? That you woke up and you, you, unless you check your phone in the calendar, you didn't know if it was Tuesday or you didn't know if it was Saturday, Right? I can humbly confess, there, there were like two or three times that I woke up Sunday morning and I thought it was Tuesday. 
And I was just in my, you know, well, you don't need to know what I was in, but I was sipping my coffee and then I would look and go, oh no, I have to get through, because I forgot. Because somewhere in there, all the days began to blend. But I say that ashamedly. You know why? If that happened to you, that you actually forgot it was Sunday, it's because you weren't treating your Sunday any different than you were treating your Monday to Saturday. You weren't keeping that day holy as God has commanded. So the command, observe the day, keep it holy, is an insistence to fight, to keep this day distinct, set apart. You know, especially those who are continuing to worship online through our virtual stream, losing the rhythm of of getting ready and going to church is a big obstacle often in, in understanding and keeping this day separate and set apart. Now, we're supposed to keep the day set apart. But the commandment doesn't elaborate what and how exactly we're supposed to do that. Right, look, look at verse 14. It speaks rather broadly. It says this, On it you shall not do any work. And then it gets really specific with who? You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, your ox, your donkey, any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. The command basically says this, Don't work, rest. And frustratingly, we want more details. Well, what's considered work? Is putting gas in work? Is turning the oven on work? Checking my fantasy team work? Is walking my dog work? What is work? And and, and the law doesn't get into the details. You know, the law, rather, what it does is it establishes the principle. The principle is simple. Don't work, rest. And from there, we're called to wisely apply the heart of the law into our lives. And this has always been an issue. This is not just something you wrestle with. Like, what exactly am I supposed to do on the Sabbath? What is work? What isn't work? This is what people in the New Testament were wrestling with. And so if you remember, there was a group called the Pharisees in the New Testament. And the way that they concluded the issue was to say, well, then we're just going to create our own laws about how to keep this day holy and set apart. And in doing this, they reduce, by creating all these rules, they reduce the Sabbath to a duty to keep and not a gift to enjoy. And we must be careful to avoid doing this because when you create man-made laws about how you are to keep the Sabbath, you're one, in danger of legalism. Two, you rob the joy of the Sabbath. You know, years ago, I served as a college pastor for five years, and I was at this church, and a bunch of uh, students of mine after Sunday Bible study were playing video games together, and um, I guess word got out, and so one of the Korean ministry pastors came to confront me later that day, and he basically said to me, Pastor Andrew, Sunday is the Lord's day. Please don't play video games. Instead, you could do activities like play sports together. And I asked him, I said, well, what's the difference? He said, sports you play outside and video games you play inside. (laughs) Well, I guess we're moving the TV outside. You see, the arbitrariness of man-made Sabbath laws doesn't help. It gets you nowhere closer to enjoying God's gifts. So don't create laws. That's not the answer. Use wisdom. But how do we apply the principle of don't work and rest? How do we apply that wisely to our lives? Well, if you apply, if you take out wisdom and you apply the letter of the law so strictly, then all hospitals should be shut down, right? Fire departments should close, police stations, grocery stores where you get gas, 
Well, no, I thank God for all the work that those people do. You know, if you're a stay-at-home parent and that's your job, do you rest from parenting on Sunday? Only in your dreams. The answer is not so simple. It requires wisdom. And that wisdom is supplied for us, not here in this commandment, but it's supplied by Jesus. He helps us understand the heart of the Sabbath law because in Mark 2, there's an incident. It's a Sabbath day and Jesus is walking through a field with his disciples. And his disciples are hungry and they start plucking the heads of grain and eating. And the Pharisees see that and this is what they say. Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, when they say, why are they doing? It's because they're murmuring among themselves, right? But Jesus, he has ears like a bat. He hears that. And Jesus doesn't let ungracious, ignorant comments slide by. He has it. So he stops everybody, turns around, and he starts a mini Bible study lesson. You never open your mouth in front of Jesus if you don't know what you're saying. Jesus hears that comment, and this is the Bible study he gives. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what Jesus is saying, he's claiming himself to be the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning whatever I say, I get the definitive word on telling you how to understand and apply the Sabbath. And he's basically saying the Sabbath is God's gift to man. God made the Sabbath for man, not the other way around. Meaning the Sabbath was always meant to serve us, to provide a spiritual and physical benefit. The Sabbath was always made to be an easy yoke, not a heavy one. And this clarifies our understanding of Jesus because he's not in the business of making our lives miserable by demanding exact obedience from the law. When Jesus came, the reason he offended everyone is because he was actually clarifying misconceptions and misunderstandings of the law. He was showing us that they're not burdensome for us to keep, but they are actually freeing because they provide true life. That the law is actually not just a duty to follow, but it's a gift to enjoy. And the only way that that becomes possible, the only way our relationship to the law changes in this type of way is because when Jesus came, he came to fulfill and obey the demands of the law in our place. You see, we didn't have the ability nor the desire to obey this law. And so when Jesus came, what did he come to do? And one of his great mission statements in Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, Jesus is saying, I came to keep this law because I know it's impossible for you to do it. And because Jesus kept the law in your place, he's now begun to change your relationship to the law. You see, if you are united to Jesus by faith, the law no longer condemns you for two reasons. One, because Jesus fulfilled the law in your place. And second, because Jesus took the punishment of your failure to keep the law in your place. And once you understand Jesus Christ obeyed for me and he took the punishment of my disobedience, then the law begins to change. The condemnation the accusation of it, the guilt it produces begins to change because now we see the law as a gift to enjoy. Something we want to do is no longer a demanding slave master over us because we begin to see God's heart in the law. In this fourth commandment, yes, we're called to observe the law, but why? Because the Sabbath was made for you, for you to rest. The question is for you, what then can you do to take this Sabbath day that's set apart holy and actually experience the rest that God intends for you to experience. And there are two questions that I want you to think through. 
two questions that this week is really worth pondering over. It's worth talking about in fellowship afterwards. We're not having community group this week, and so there's no forum for that discussion, but I encourage you to talk about this, to think about it, to reflect on it. Here are the two questions. The first question is this, what are you doing on Sundays that set it apart from Monday to Saturday? What are you doing on Sunday that sets it apart from Monday to Saturday? If Sunday is a day set apart holy, what are you doing differently? What is distinctive about Sunday Sabbath rest from the rest of the week? What can you do on Sunday intentionally that you don't do or you can't do during the rest of the week? And this is going to look different for each person depending on the season of your life. And this is where wisdom comes in. So I can't tell you what to do. The Bible doesn't give you specifics, but understanding the heart of the command, how do you begin to apply it wisely? Maybe if you have a young family, your week is so hectic. Your life is all about your kids, you know, keeping them alive. So maybe you decide this one Sunday to set it apart. Sunday lunch, Sunday dinner. We're going to have people over and I'm going to practice biblical hospitality. One day a week. It's going to be super hard. It's going to be super inconvenient. But this is one practice that I'm going to do to set it apart. Maybe if you're single and you're working hard and you're tired every night, you know, you decide this one Sunday, I'm going to make intentional time for one friend, not a group hangout, one friend. I'm going to ask how they're, going to, how they're doing and I'm going to encourage them in the Lord. Maybe if your week is full of family and church and then you decide on this Sunday, I'm going to find time to invest in an unbelieving coworker, an unbelieving neighbor, an unbelieving friend to develop a friendship for gospel witness. Maybe during the week, you feel like you have no time to spend in God's word and in prayer or to read Christian literature. And so you set aside a portion of Sunday, an hour before service, an hour after lunch. I'm going to set aside this one day, this one hour, to spend particularly in God's word. If you are married and you have young kids, you got to work it out somehow, but it's worth doing. Or maybe your schedule, your kid's schedule is so busy and hectic. Family worship is almost impossible. When could I ever do this? So Sundays you make sure to gather at least at some point. Say, we're going to sing one song. Well, I don't play an instrument. Well, then play a CD. We're going to pray together. The list can go on and on. Be creative. My job is not to do the thinking for you, but saying the command of the scriptures, observe the Sabbath, keep it holy. Jesus says the Sabbath is made for you, not for you, you for the Sabbath. So take that and begin to pray and think about how that applies to your life. Commit to that one thing that's setting Sunday apart as a day of rest from the other six days. Now here's the second question. It's equally important. What do you do Monday to Saturday that you won't do on Sunday? See, the first question is, what are you doing on Sundays that's going to set it apart from Monday to Saturday? This question is, what do you do on Monday to Sunday that you're going to not do on Monday to Saturday that you're not going to do on Sunday? What are you going to guard your Sunday from? What is that one thing that you regularly engage in during the week that you're going to keep out of Sunday to keep it holy and separate and distinct? Or maybe some of you are prone to overwork. And you're going to need to turn your email notifications off for the day. You literally need to take your phone and move that app into a different folder away from your eyes so you don't see it. Maybe that means you're going to commit to not doing any work at all. And so you take your laptop Saturday night and you put it in your bag and you don't pick it up. You don't open it again until Monday morning. Maybe if you're a student, you'll decide not to do schoolwork on Sundays. 
Some parents are going to get mad at me. Some students are thinking, what the? Well, what about Monday assignments, Monday quizzes, Monday tests? Well, that's why the school gave you Saturday off too. Saturday is part of the six days of work that God instituted. The pattern in God's great creation design was to work six days and rest the seventh days. You don't know better than God. So many times in our wisdom, this is what we think. I'm going to work hard for five days. I'm going to rest on the sixth day. And then I'm going to work again on the seventh. I'm going to work hard Monday to Friday. I'm going to enjoy Saturday. And I'm going to pick up my homework on Sunday. Friends, you don't know better than God. He has establish a pattern and a design. Maybe Monday to Saturday, you you wake up early for work, for different things, and you're always tired. And so Sunday you commit, I'm going to get more sleep. I'm going to sleep in. And then, but you're thinking, but there's church in the morning. How can I sleep in? There's an easy solution to that. Sleep earlier on Saturday. Coming into church tired on Sunday, and people are always surprised like how I can see each one of your faces, even with the masks on. I can see dazing eyes. You wish the mask covered your eyes. You know what though? Coming into church tired on Sunday is already evidence that you're not enjoying the day as a gift, but you're doing the day as a duty. You know, if you're tired because you stayed up Saturday night, that means that in your mind, you're treating Saturday as the gift to enjoy and Sunday as the duty to endure. Like, why are we up so late on Saturday? Because it's a fun day. Well, no, Sunday is the fun day. That's why it rhymes. <laughs> that was not in my manuscript, I promise. <laughs> but what are we doing to keep the things of Monday to Saturday out of Sunday? Maybe last thing, maybe you hit the gym four or five days a week. And so what can you do? You can schedule your workout so that Sunday is a rest day. And you commit that time rather, that one, two hours in the gym, you spend it with God's people. Don't work out your muscles on Sunday. Work out your salvation. <laughs> do it with people. And, you know, the list can go on and on. My job isn't here to tell you what to do. It's to encourage you of the ways in which you take the wisdom of God. And his wisdom is far better than ours. When he says to you, the Sabbath I made for you, and now I'm commanding you in great love for you as a gift, observe the Sabbath, experience my rest. And if you believe this, yes, there are some things you may lose out on if you keep the Sabbath. But let me encourage you, there are far greater things to gain if you keep the Sabbath. For that is God's design and it is his gift for you. Let's pray.